Well, greetings, Hope Markham. Thank you for inviting us back into your home again so that together, wherever we are, however you're watching, we can worship the Lord together. I would invite you at this moment to open up your Bible with me to Matthew chapter 19, starting at verse 16. This is the first of three services that uh, will comprise our Easter service for, or Easter series for this year from Matthew chapter 19. It's a familiar story, a well-known story about Jesus in an interaction with a man called the rich uh, young ruler. In 2013, a young boy delivered a TED Talk which far exceeded his expectations. Logan LaPlante spoke for about 10 minutes on his ideas for how education could work better. He spoke to a small audience, probably about 100 people or so, he said that he expected maybe about 1,000 people, if he was lucky, to watch it online. Uh, but to date, it's been viewed over 10.2 million times. Uh, in this video, he tried to suggest a different model for educating kids. Because from his perspective, the way that kids uh, learn to define happiness in the education system and in life in general just isn't working. Conventional wisdom in our time has said that we're going to be more happy if we achieve more things and better things. And maybe this is the way that you think yourself. More respect, better health, more friends, better grades, more brands, a better career, more followers, a better wardrobe, more money, better vacation, more acceptance. In his TED Talk, uh, Logan cites psychologist Dr. Roger Welsh. In another video by Dr. Roger Welsh, he refers to some unique government um, statistics from the states. Statistics that estimate that the global cost to treat mental health disorders every year could be about $2.5 trillion. Uh, the cost of our mental well-being in the healthcare system is large. And the stats are starting to prove what many in our society have realized in their hearts and what you probably have as well. Our definitions for happiness are skewed. And the pursuit of happiness and the world that we're living in doesn't really have a finish line. The Bible shows us a life in the life of Jesus that defied conventional wisdom for his age and for our age. Jesus taught and lived the blessed life, the good life, an abundant life, a happy life, a life that loves God and loves others. The Bible says that his life was characterized by fullness of joy, even in the darkest of times. This Easter season, we're taking these three services to look at the interaction that Jesus had with this rich young ruler in Matthew 19. This young man was striving for happiness according to the conventional wisdom of his day and in every key performance indicator that would have proved a happy life, he got it. He got it, but he was still looking for more. He had more than everyone else, but he was still trying to feel like a better person. And when an alternative was offered by Jesus, he wasn't willing to take it. And he went back to the previous way he was living even more unhappy. Today, I'd like us to try and answer a question that I believe many of us are asking. How can we be finally 
happy. This passage today, Matthew chapter 19, verse 16 to verse 22, is going to allow us to examine our assumptions about happiness. Then it's going to expose our anxieties that we may have in the pursuit of happiness. And then it's going to extend an alternative for true happiness. So let's turn our attention to God's word and read this passage together. Matthew chapter 19, verse 16 to verse 22. This is God's word. It speaks to us today, and this is what it says. And behold, a man came up to him saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. He said to him, Which ones? And Jesus said, You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. You shall, not love, uh, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, All these have I kept. What do I still lack? Jesus said to him, If you would be perfect, go. Sell what you possess and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Our goal today is to answer the question, how can I finally be happy? We want to allow this passage to examine our assumptions about happiness, expose our anxieties in the pursuit of happiness, and see the alternative that Jesus offers for true happiness. So let's first see how Jesus examines our assumptions about happiness. I see in this man's lifestyle three assumptions that he had about how he could find happiness, which I think many of us have ourselves. First, like him, we can assume that happiness is found in success. This man got it. He was young. He was rich. He had a position of power and authority as a ruler. And many of us want this type of successful life that he gained. We want youthfulness. You, know, you might not be young, but a lot of us really care about our image, how other people perceive us, our reputation. We want wealth. You might have it or you might be striving for it, but we believe that we'll be happier if I had more money. We want authority and power. We think that we'll be more happy when we have more influence and other pe- we have more name recognition that other people can acknowledge. Image, money, influence. And think, think about the way that we spend our money on things like this. Think about the, the cosmetic and fashion industries, body image, fitness, social media branding. Think about all of the money that's poured into home renovations and summer cottages and the advertisement that happens for beach vacations and the popular toys that your kids want, that other kids have, that they feel like they won't be satisfied if they don't have what others have. We assume that if we have more and if we have better, based on the culture's definition of success, that success and the sum of our successes will add up to more happiness. We assume that 
happiness is sound, found in success, like this man lived. Also, we can assume that happiness is found in respect. Yes, success, but also respect. You might not care so much about the brands, about having the best things. You're just a, a regular guy who works hard and you wanna be acknowledged for your hard work. You don't wanna be overlooked, you wanna be respected. This guy had a lot of respect. See, just before this man arrived to speak with Jesus, there were some other people speaking to Jesus. And Jesus' 12 disciples were kind of acting like his bodyguards. And Jesus thought that these people who were coming to see him weren't worthy of his time, and they tried to push him away. Let's look and see how that happened. In verse 16, or excuse me, verse 13, it says, Then children were brought to him, that he might lay his hands on them and pray. The disciples rebuked the people. But Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and went away. See, Jesus knew that if you wanted to enter the kingdom, you needed to become like a little child. He welcomed children and the parents that had them. But in the conventional wisdom of these days, not really worth your time, Jesus. You're a pretty important guy. But then so the disciples tried to push away these humble, meek children. But when this man comes up, this man who evidently from his outward appearance was somebody, the, the, the apostles didn't stop him. They rolled out the red carpet. Yeah, you might not want a red carpet, but maybe you want a little more acknowledgement from your boss about the work that you put in, especially when you're working hard and remotely as you are right now. You might not want the brands and you might not want some big show, but you just want your family to give you the downtime that you believe that you deserve because you work hard and you pay the bills. And maybe there's a little bit of tension at home because you don't feel like you're getting that. We look for happiness in these things. We look for happiness in success. We look for happiness in success and in respect. Finally, there's a third way that we, this man assumed he could find a happy life. Like him, we can assume that happiness is found in success and respect and by just being a good person. Look at the question that he asks in verse 16. Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he finally shows us his true colors of what he really wants when he comes to Jesus. He shows us that he wants eternal life, and he believes that he can gain it himself by his good deeds. But what does he really mean when he says he wants eternal life? You probably have some presumptions about what this means, but the rest of the text helps give us some clarity. Jesus heard these words and says in verse 17, if you would enter life, and then he also says in verse 22 that this eternal life is entering the kingdom of heaven. His disciples hear this and they say, who can be saved? So there are three words here that are referring to the same thing, eternal life, entering the kingdom, and salvation. What's this guy really looking for? Well, first, even though he is the envy of his peers and respected by everyone else, this man believes he needs salvation. 
even though he's the envy of his peers, he still believes that his circumstances are so dire and so, are po so poor that he needs to be rescued out of his circumstances like a fireman would rescue someone from a burning building or like a lifeguard would rescue someone drowning out of water. That's, that's kind of odd because many of us would look at his life and want what he has, but he wants out of it. Second, he's looking for eternal life, meaning two things. He's looking for everlasting life in the afterlife in God's paradise, but he's also looking for abundant life in the present life in the way following God as king. But the thing is, he assumed that he could get all of this that he could save himself from his circumstances, that he could get everlasting life and have abundant life by his own good works. And maybe that's the way that you're looking for happiness. You are all caught up on all the top best-selling self-help books. Dr. Phil and Oprah are your best friends, and you're trying to be able to just learn what you can do to be able to be a better person. And I empathize with the desire uh, for that. We all wanna better ourselves. We all wanna grow. But as we're gonna learn shortly, it's actually misguided to think that we ourselves can be the ones who can save ourselves and give ourselves this abundance and happiness that we want. Maybe you're not so much interested in the, the brands and you don't really care so much about respect, but you really are working hard at being a good person. You, like volunteerism and charity are like, some people say it's your obsession, but you know it's not an obsession, it's a passion. Fundraising galas, uh, 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 homeless shelters, social media awareness campaigns, parades. And maybe you know that when you're doing these things, you feel really good about yourself. And sometimes you even look down at others because they're not as, as good as you are. But on the other side, though you might feel good about yourself a lot, maybe you often feel insecure about yourself. Because like this man, you're not sure what level gets you to the place where you're actually good enough, despite all the good things that you're doing. These are the assumptions that this guy made. He assumed happiness is found in success, in respect, in living a good life. But here then now, having examined his assumptions about happiness, Jesus exposes the real anxiety that this man has in the pursuit of happiness. I'm glad in our time that talking about anxiety and mental health is becoming less of a taboo topic. It gives me hope that Christians will take seriously the teaching of Jesus that we can have true peace, that we can have a real hope, and that we can be an example of how this abundance and peace and hope can be actually lived in our daily lives through what we have in Christ. There's a lot of optimism that I have about opportunities for Christians to be a light to the world in this time, but the reality is the stats are showing that more and more younger generations feel especially hopelessly stuck in this world that they're living in 
without being able to reach the finish line in the pursuit of happiness and are just burning out. It's frustrating for many. It was for this man. Jesus exposes a few ways that this man is anxious. And this might feel uncomfortable because putting a magnifying glass on his life feels like we're putting a magnifying glass on our lives, and we are. But I would invite you to embrace the pain and uncomfortability of this because when we see our um, anxieties exposed by God's grace, you will see how his love covers your fears and gives you hope for a real life of true happiness found in him. Not based on circumstances and the ups and downs of life, but even when we're in a crisis, even when everything that we think keeps us secure is, and keeps us stable is removed away, there is a way that you can still be happy, that you can still have joy and abundance. So let's embrace the pain and embrace the uncomfortability of looking at our anxieties so that we can understand the better way. Jesus first exposes that this man is anxiously insecure. Look at the text again with me. Verse 16, And behold, a man came up to him saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he, that's Jesus, said to him, Why do you ask me what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. He said to him, which ones? Jesus said, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said, all these I have kept, what do I still lack? This man is insecure. Interesting that he calls Jesus good. And Jesus kind of responds to that. He's like, do you really know what you're saying right now? It's probably that this guy was just trying to flatter Jesus. He knows Jesus is someone is important. He feels like he's someone is important, so he's just trying to flatter him and butter him up. But Jesus invites him to in examine and consider the implications of what a good deed really is. And he says, well, it's the good way of following God's commandments. But then he asks, okay, well, well, well which commandments? And then he gives them the list. And then he says, well, well, I've kept all of these. What am I still lacking? Can you sense the anxious insecurity that he has? He never knows what's enough. But I think his perception about who God really is is skewed. And maybe your perception about who God is and how you can relate to God is skewed as well, like him. See, the Bible presents God as supreme being in heaven but also loving Father near to us, even living with us in our hearts. The Bible presents God as a Father, a person who can be known, who can be loved, who knows us and loves us and provides for us and sympathizes with our weaknesses. We can be nearer to God even as our skin is near to our body. We can be close to God even as our breath is close in our lungs. We can be united with God even as our blood is united through our hearts and pumping through our veins. We can know God like this. But he, this man depersonalizes God. 
He believes that in order to have what God offers, it's not based on a relationship with God. It's based on his religious performance and duty. He, yes, in order to have a relationship with God and enjoy the abundant life that he offers, there are obligations, like in marriage, if we're going to enjoy an intimate relationship together, there are obligations for that exclusive relationship. But this man overemphasized his religious performance and underemphasized the relationship with God. In doing so, he wasn't treating God like a person having a relationship with. He was treating God like a, a transaction to receive a product. He was treating God like a broken vending machine, right? I put a buck 75 in, and it says if I put a buck 75 in, I get the product I selected. I put two bucks in now, and it's not giving me what I get. How much more do I need to put in? He was treating his relationship with God with just a transaction because he believed it was all about his effort. Even though God says that he's a father, even though God says that he's faithful, even when we're faithless, he was putting the emphasis on his effort. And that made him anxiously insecure. Not only was he anxiously insecure, but he was also anxiously misguided. I find it really interesting that after Jesus gives him this list, he says, all these I've kept. Okay, if I'm going to get the life I want and be happy and have eternal life and abundant life, I need to do the commandments. I've done them. I've done them all. These six that Jesus lists aren't all the commandments that God tells us to follow in order to enjoy a relationship with him by faith in Jesus, but they are just a part of the whole. And this guy knew that these were just a part of the whole. And when he says, I've kept all of these, he's really saying, yeah, I've kept these and all the ones you didn't say too. I've kept the whole. But did he really? He believed in a misguided way that his obligation to obey was just on outward appearance. It was just about behavior. But it's not. Jesus taught that it's about the heart. The scriptures say man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. In Matthew 26, uh, 23, Jesus tells a group of people that they're cleaning the outside of the cup when they're neglecting cleaning the inside of the cup. And though to everyone else they look clean in their heart, what God saw was really filthy. Others on the outside might see the evidence of adultery, but God sees lust in the heart. Others on the outside might see the evidence of theft, but God sees greed in the heart. And God wants to cleanse us. God is able and ready to forgive us at the level of our heart. But this man was only concerned about outward behavior. And in a misguided way, he missed what God really wanted for him. What about you? Are you insecurely racing and racing and racing to do more and more and more? Are you treating God like he's just some broken vending machine and forgetting that he's a father that loves? Are you only concerned about basic ritual outward behaviors and hiding 
what God actually already sees. At the core, he wasn't just insecure and misguided. His anxiety exposes that he's actually empty. He says again in verse 20, all these I have kept. What do I still lack? That must have been really shocking for the disciples around him. That must have been really shocking for the parents with young kids. They saw this guy had everything, but he still says, I lack. Man, what hope can we have if the people who have everything in our culture still feel empty? If the celebrities and the wealthy 1% in the culture still have everything but still feel empty, what hope do I have for being happy? When he turned 50 years old, just a couple years ago, ESPN did an interview with Michael Jordan. It was just a special on his life, turning a significant uh, age. And Michael Jordan is considered the greatest basketball player of all time. He owns a NBA team right now, the Charlotte Bobcats. His personal brand, the Jordan brand, which has created the most famous basketball sneakers uh, by Nike, that personal brand is worth billions of dollars. But when ESPN did an interview with Michael Jordan when he turned 50 years old, the interview really reveals how empty he still feels, even though it looks like he's been filled up with everything he could ever imagine. Listen to a few of some of these quotes. The interviewer says, Jordan is used to being the most important person in every room he enters and going a step further in the lives of everyone he meets. People cater to his every whim. His self-esteem has always been, as he says, tied directly to the game. He's been retired for many years now, though. Without it, without playing basketball, he feels adrift. Who am I? What am I doing? For the past 10 years, since retiring for the third time, he has been running, moving as fast as he could, creating distractions and distance. Jordan stares in the mirror, wondering where to turn. How can I enjoy the next 20 years without so much of this consuming me? He ponders. How can I find peace away from the game of basketball? If this man who has everything can't find happiness in adding up more and better achievements, what hope do we have? This is a sad irony. With all his success and all his respect, the rich and the famous of our culture and what they have, they have the same thing as us. They have a soul that longs out for more than what the created world can offer and what only the creator in heaven can give. And it's the same with this young ruler, rich ruler in this story. And it's the same with us. So we've examined our assumptions. We've seen our anxieties exposed. Are you ready to see Jesus extend an alternative? Look at the text again, verse 20. The young men said to him, all these I've kept, what do I still lack? Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go. Sell what you possess and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. What a shocking request. What a shocking statement. And come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. 
So what alternative does Jesus extend for true happiness? Well, notice how Jesus responds to his question. What do I still lack? What do I still lack? I'm empty. Jesus answers, if you would be perfect. If you want to be perfect. If you're looking for perfection. The way Jesus was using this word perfection is different from the way that when we use it. When we think about perfection, we often think about things that are flawless. The flawlessly airbrushed model, the flawless GPA, the flawless driving record. Jesus isn't talking about flawlessness. Jesus is talking about something different. Unless you have one of those like little purse dogs, when you get a, a real dog, sorry if you have a purse dog, when you get a real dog as a puppy and you adopt a puppy, you know that that puppy isn't yet what it is fully supposed to be. You know it's small, but you know it's going to grow. You know it's going to a uh, small pup, but it's going to be a full-grown dog. It's still a dog when it's a pup, and it's still a dog when it's a grown dog, but when it's a pup, it's not yet what it's fully supposed to be. This is what Jesus is talking about when he talks about being perfect. See, we might find some measure of happiness in our culture's definition for happiness but it will never become what it's fully supposed to be it will always be lacking jesus offers a perfect definition for happiness perfect meaning a sense of completeness a sense of fullness a sense of wholeness this is how Jesus redefines true happiness. Adding more things and better things will never make us truly happy. True happiness is being made whole when we are reunited into relationship with the God who created us to relate to him. But the problem is we are alienated from him and we try to replace what only he can give with the things he's created. That's what this man did. This man replaced his trust in God and his loyalty to God and his hope in God and his love for God with trust and loyalty and hope and love for success and respect and his own good deeds. And he tried to fill in his soul what only God can actually make whole. And he was left empty. All of us were created in God's image. All of us were created to have a relationship with him. But the decision to replace God with things is what the Bible calls sin. Sin alienates us from the relationship with God. But Jesus came to remove our sin. Jesus came to reunite us into relationship with God. The scripture says that the wages of sin is death. So when we see Jesus hanging on the cross, we see that he bore the punishment for our sin. We see that he was forsaken so that we can be forgiven. We see that he died so that we could have life. We see that he was rejected so that he could be accepted. See, the things that your soul wants are good things. It is it's a natural to want to have a life that 
matters, but to seeking a meaningful life and our own success apart from God is seeking something that God can only give. It's good to want to be belong, to belong and be accepted, but seeking that acceptance apart from God and in the things of this world and other people will never truly satisfy your soul. It's good to want to do good, to be good, to have a purpose that positively impacts others, but to do that as a way to earn acceptance and to prove yourself will never truly meet God's standard. But Jesus lived the life that we couldn't. Jesus died the death that we deserve. And if you put your faith in him, you will be reunited into relationship with God. And as you learn to walk in harmony with your creator, you will know what it is to be whole. And no matter what the circumstances are, you can still have more than what the culture calls happiness. You can have joy. You can have peace. You can have abundant life. Like the rich young ruler, we all have a decision to make today. Tragically, he did not take the alternative that Jesus extended. But like the rich young ruler, we all have a decision to make today. Is the cost of happiness worth it? We can finally be happy when we are made whole in God through Christ. But is the cost worth it? This rich young ruler had his success and his wealth and his reputation covering his soul like a garment. But he started to see before he came to Jesus that some of the threads were starting to loosen. And he pulled on it a bit. But then he went to Jesus and tried to ask him, how can I fix this? And then Jesus pulled on it a little bit more. And the more he pulled, the more his anxiety was exposed. The more his insecurity was revealed, the more he saw he was misguided. And then more than that, when he was fully exposed and shown that everything he had was just a sham, he wouldn't turn to Jesus and ask for a new garment. He just went away empty and naked, sorrowful and hopeless. His story doesn't have to be yours. Like him, we are told to go and sell, come and follow. What has taken God's rightful place in your life? Is it your kid's success? Is it your career and finances? Is it your body image? Is it the approval of others? Is it stability? Is it security? And you'll know that these things have replaced in your life because if you lose them, you're crushed. And if someone threatens to take them, you get angry. Like this man, we're told to go and sell. Get that out of the place that only God deserves to be in so that he can have it alone. Go and sell it. Get rid of it. Put it out of the place so that he can have that place alone. And then come and follow. Turn to Jesus, follow him, walk in harmony with him, enjoy relationship with the Father and the Son in unity with the Spirit, and you and you'll have relationship with God and the wholeness that God created you to enjoy. It is worth it. It's worth it to give up what we never really had, to gain what we could never truly lose. The cost is immense. When you think about the cost that it would be for your life, look to the cross. Look at the cross and recognize the price that Jesus was willing to pay for you. 
The cross is proof that we are more sinful than we could ever realize. But the cross is also proof that we are more loved than we could ever imagine. We deserve the death that he died. But he willingly suffered it in our place. And when we put our faith in him, our sin will be removed. We will be reunited in a relationship with God. And in a relationship with God, we can be whole again. This is how we can be finally happy. When we are made whole in a relationship with God through faith in Jesus. Church, let me pray for you now. Father in heaven, thank you for the sacrifice that Jesus made. Thank you for the way that Jesus loved this man enough to show him his anxieties and to expose his heart and to show him an alternative way. And God, I pray that those who are watching today, that we all would, in the same way, that we would be willing to see what's behind that garment and that we would look to you and have new clothes and walking in relationship with you, Lord God. Father, would you make us whole? Would you show us our sin? Would you show us the Savior? Would we live by faith in Jesus, finding true happiness, joy, and peace because we're made whole in relationship with God? In Jesus' name, amen.